our Bibles in our hand. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God. And I believe it. I have what it says I can have. I can do what it says I can do. I am who it says I am. I am accepted in the Beloved. Blessed to be a blessing. A chosen generation. Destined to make a difference. Empowered to live right. And forgiven of all my sin. If you believe that, shout Amen. And we're continuing our new series called Ignite. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, it says, Our God is a consuming fire. Will you say that with me? Our God is a consuming fire. Say it by yourselves. Go. Our God is a consuming fire. And the thing about fire is whenever fire comes in contact with something that is consumable, it changes it. Whatever item it comes in contact with, it no longer stays the same. And how many know that's true? If our God is a consuming fire, when He stepped into our lives, He ignited our hearts on fire with purpose, with passion, and with power to make a difference in this world. In fact, that's why we're still here. I said, in fact, that's why we're still here. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, I love this in the message. Jesus said, let me tell you why you were here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. I like that. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. In other words, ignition has been made. The all-consuming fire has stepped into our lives. Let's show it. Amen? That's why we're here. Now, the last couple of weeks, we talked about six different ways to share your faith. Remember, one of them was confrontational. How many remember that? How many fit that category? Yeah, all the troublemakers in the church. That's me too. I, I'm in that category too. I love it. Yeah, we talked about intellectual and how you can serve and, 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 and give. And you can make a difference. Your story can make a difference. Your testimony can make a difference. Well, today I want to talk to you about one of the easiest and most meaningful ways you can share your faith with someone else, and it's through a simple invitation to them to come to church with you. In fact, I did this last week. I want to do it again just to see the show of hands. How many are here at CFC simply because someone invited you? Lift your hand up high. Real high. Everyone look at all the hands. Okay, now not every hand. Some of you may have just drove by. Some of you may have saw us on TV. Some of you may have Googled us on the internet. But the majority of us are here because someone simply invited us to come. Amen? And so I want to continue and share with you how your story, how your invitation can change the world. Now if you think about this for a moment... Invitations are really not that big of a deal. However, they can have a huge impact. We get invitations all the time. How many are on Facebook? 
How many have ever got some, someone to be your friend and you confirmed them as your friend? Or vice versa. You know what that is? That's an invitation. Someone saying, hey, let's connect. Let's talk about old times. Let's make fun of each other's old pictures. Right? And you confirm those friends. Right? Uh, we get uh, recently, uh, you know, several months ago, Christy sent out save the date invitations for the wedding. And then a few months after that, she sent out a formal invitation. So we're constantly getting invitations. And so in light of that wedding invitation, I thought I'd get online and check out some of the different kinds of invitations. And how many remember Tom Cruise and Top Gun? I saw one invitation. It was called Top Groom. Yeah, whatever. Saw another wedding. They were getting married in October. And so they had like a Halloween theme. Okay. But this one, this other story I found, beats them all. Okay? All right? I got to searching. And it was actually sent out by the mother of the groom who was not happy at all about the upcoming wedding. Okay? Here's what it says. It says, you are regretfully invited <laughs> to the wedding between my son, the doctor, and some cheap two-bit blank. That's what it said. Whose name escapes me right now. The biggest disaster in my family's history will take place at 9 p.m. on Saturday, September 8th. And will no doubt end in divorce. Hopefully in time to still be eligible for an annulment. The overwhelmingly disappointing heartbreak of the ceremony will be followed by dinner. Where nuts will be served because what's-her-face has an allergy. <laughs> How many know that's probably not an appropriate invitation for a wedding? <laughs> well, in the same way, there are some inappropriate invitations to church. Like, you probably don't want to go, hey, you want to go to church with me? No, okay, well then go to hell. <laughs> that, is, that is not an appropriate invitation to church. You want to go to church with me? I'm not really... So what's wrong with you? Are you Satan? <laughs> See, so just like there are inappropriate wedding invitations, there are inappropriate church invitations as well. So we want to make sure we give appropriate invitations. And so I want you to see how powerful an invitation can be in someone's life. In fact, I embarrassed her last week. But the friend who invited me to the youth rally where I gave my heart to Jesus was here the last two Sundays. And I embarrassed her last week. I had her stand up and I acknowledged her and humiliated her in front of everyone. But you know what? I'm preaching the gospel today simply because she invited me to a youth rally. Some of you are where you're at in your walk with God. Your life is what it is because someone simply invited you to church where you had an encounter with the Lord Jesus. It's powerful. John chapter 1, and it's not up on the screen, but I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and we don't have time to read the entire chapter, so I'm just going to give you some highlights, okay? We're going to begin in verse 6. John chapter 1, verse 6, it says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Now, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Verse 29. 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. Verse 37, And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. So when they heard what John said about Jesus, they started following him. But it doesn't end there. Watch what happens. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. So Andrew first went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In fact, it's such a favorite, that's why we named our middle son Andrew, because of that verse right there. Hmm? Because we believe we're going to have kids who bring people to Jesus. Huh? Powerful. And listen, I can't help but think, remember we saw in Acts chapter 2, talking about the confrontational example? I can't help but think as Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, these people are not drunk as you suppose. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And he began to throw down and he began to preach. And the Bible says as a result of his anointed preaching, that hearts were pricked. And people said, what do we need to do to get saved? And Jesus said, and and Peter said, you need to repent. And then you too can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus that day. And I can't help but think, that would have never happened if this verse wasn't here first. Andrew found Simon and brought him to Jesus. And as a result of Andrew, and you know what? You really don't hear much more about Andrew than that right there. That's it. You don't hear of mighty deeds. You don't hear of great miracles. The other time, the only other time that you really hear about Andrew is Andrew's also the one who found the boy with the five loaves and the two fish. Where Jesus multiplied them and fed 5,000 people. Over 5,000. Just 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So here we have this Andrew, this behind-the-scenes guy who had a way to make big miracles happen simply because he brought things, people, to Jesus, whether whether his brother or a boy who had provision. Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, or Kepha, which means Peter. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said to him, come, where's Philip? Where's Philip Esquivel? Philip. There you go, Philip. He found Philip. And he said, come, be an usher at Christian Faith Center. Yeah. Come, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything, 
by the way, Nathaniel, because of that guy's name, because it goes on to say he's a man full of integrity, that's Joshua's middle name. Joshua Nathaniel, right there. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Now, when you think about Nazareth, it'd be like today saying, Great Creek. <laughs> wall. Wall. Can anything good come out of Wall? Miles. Miles, Texas. Just think, and listen, nothing against Great Creek Wall or any small town. Hey, it'd be like if you're in Austin or Dallas going, San Angelo. Okay, so any small town, community that you think is small and insignificant, that's what Nazareth was like. And so that's what people had in mind. They're like, nothing happens in Nazareth. That's dead, no going nowhere town. What do you mean Nazareth? And you know what? Philip persuaded him and said, no, you, you, you got to come see. And as they approached Jesus, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Now we're going to stop right there for time's sake. You can read this whole chapter later on. But here's what I want you to notice. Peter and Nathanael's lives are changed dramatically because they meet and encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. Their lives are changed dramatically. In fact, their lives are turned upside down for good. And they are never, ever the same. But, and here it is, this is a big but. Peter never would have encountered Jesus had his brother Andrew not loved him enough to first go and say, okay, I'm following Jesus, wait a minute, stop, be back in a minute. Peter, you got to come. you got to come see this man. Huh? Nathaniel. Huh? Nathaniel may not have ever received eternal life that Jesus offered. His life may have never been changed if it wasn't for Philip going to get him. And when, he, and when he was hesitant and said, you know, Nazareth, give me a break, nothing, whatever. No, you got to come. I know, I know what you're thinking, but you got to come and see this man. Their lives both were forever changed simply because someone cared enough, someone loved them enough to extend an invitation to come meet Jesus. It's powerful. Your invitation can change people's lives for eternity. Amen? Huh? And so I want to share with you this morning five ways your invitation can change the world. Five things that have to happen for your invitation to be effective. You ready? Number one is this. You have to believe that Jesus can change lives. You have to believe Jesus can change lives. I shared my testimony a little bit with you over the last couple of weeks. I'm serious. When this friend of mine invited me to the youth rally on the phone that had a cord. <laughs> if you were really cool, you got the real long one. And then you could stretch it into the room and close the door. Right? Anyway, I remember talking to her on the phone, and she invited me to this youth rally. And when she said, church, youth rally, church, you know, I, uh, I proceeded to cuss her out. And say, you know what, I will go, but you have to promise me there will not be any beep, 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 beep preaching. Seriously. Now, listen, 
you have to believe Jesus has the power to change lives. And some of us, we see people and we see the exterior. We hear the words coming out of their mouth. We hear like you saw the video we, we aired of, of Penn. And how he, he claimed to be an atheist. Yet when someone knowing that gave him a Bible. And gave it to him in the right spirit. Gave, gave it to him. Reached out to him with the love of Jesus. Even though he's an atheist, man, his, te- his eyes started tearing up. His eyes started watering. Huh? So people can say they believe whatever they don't believe. People can say that, you know, God's not real. People can say, oh, that's just religion. Uh, the, church, the church is full of hypocrisy. They can say all they want. They can cuss. But you have to look beyond that and see the hurt and see the pain that they carry in their heart and know that Jesus can change their lives. Come on, he changed you. I said he changed you. And they don't get much meaner and uglier than you. Or me. And he changed us. In fact, it was so funny. I remember Lee Francis prayed with me in the hotel room. Prayed with me. I made Jesus Lord of my life. He prayed with me to receive the Holy Spirit. I was never the same. And I'll never forget, we came out of the room, and he marched me into the youth pastor's room. Pastor John and Ann Holler were the youth pastors at the time. And he brought me in there and said, you know what? You guys are never going to guess what happened. But Todd Nelson just received Jesus as his Lord and Savior and got filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'll never forget, Ann Holler, the youth, John's wife, said, him? Just like that. I felt about that big. Him? You know, but the reason she said that, when I showed up and they had all the other activities, we were jumping into the pool, and I thought Christians were just a bunch of wimps, so I'm just, I'm throwing everyone into the pool. I'm kind of bullying people around. I'm throwing people in the pool, checking out the girls in the bikinis. But when it came time to hear the gospel, the gospel penetrated my heart. And Jesus forever changed my life. And see, you may look at people and you think, him? Invite him? Invite her? Yeah. You believe Jesus can change lives, don't you? Don't let their facade, don't let their foul mouth, don't let their stinking attitude, don't let their unbelief, don't let whatever facade they're wearing on the outside, you got to look beyond that. you got to see them with the eyes of Jesus. huh? The woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus saw beyond what she did. And he saw the hurt and he saw the wound and he saw the abuse. And he restored her life. So you have to believe Jesus can change lives. See, there are two things that happen when Jesus comes into your life. Number one, he gives you eternal life. In other words, your eternity is taken care of. You know, it's, it's already been proven. One of the top things that people are afraid of, they're afraid of dying. And I believe it's because the Bible says God has put eternity in the heart of man. We know. Whether you say you, you acknowledge it or not, whether you believe in the existence of God or not, it's amazing. You get in that foxhole, you're saying, oh God, oh God, oh God. As the bullets are flying, you're calling out to this God you say you don't believe in. Because deep down, you know that you know. The Bible says all you got to do is look at creation. And everyone, everyone is without excuse. You don't need five points to prove that the resurrection is real. You know it on the inside. You know it's real. God put it on the inside of you to know that he's real. Everybody, I don't care. You can argue till you peel the paint off. It doesn't change the facts. You know. So I don't waste time arguing. You know. You already know. You already know. Just, just get saved. Bow your head right now. Just get saved. 
Confrontational. Huh? So you have to believe Jesus can change lives. And so when Jesus comes into our life, we receive eternal life. You know, now no lo- we're no longer afraid of death. We're no longer afraid of dying. And in fact, in 2 Timothy 1.10, it says Jesus broke the power of death. You know, I look back at my life, and I remember when I was a 12 or 13, and Roger and I were talking about this Thursday, Thursday evening. You know, I remember even as a, a young child, 12, 13 years old, wondering what will happen to me when I die. Kind of morose, you know, weird to think of when you're that young, but I did. God was dealing with me, and I remember asking my mom, Mom, do you think I'll go to heaven when I die? And my mom said, John 3, 3, you must be born again. I'm like, what's that mean? You must be born again. She didn't know how to explain it, but you know what? Those words haunted me for three years. Haunted me until I was 15 years old. And I remember thinking, whatever happens before I die, before I croak, I got to get born again. Whatever that means. Hmm? But you know what? I remember when Jesus stepped into my life, I was no longer afraid of dying. Because Jesus broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. But we also need to understand, Jesus didn't come just to secure our eternity. He also came to help us have life and life more abundantly right here in the nasty now and now. Not just give us eternal security for the sweet by and by, but to live life right here, right now, successfully with victory. He came to give us an overcoming life. And you know what? So many people that you run into every day at school, you lock eyes with people in your classroom. You lock eyes with people at work. You lock eyes with people at Starbucks, and they have the smile, and they have the facade because we're supposed to act like we got it all together, and it's not cool to let people know you're hurting and, you, and, 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 and you're weighed down, and people are weighed down in their marriage. They're weighed down. They feel like failures as a parent. They're, they're, they're underneath a load of financial debt, and they're struggling, and they're hurting. And you and I lock eyes with these people every day who need to know that Jesus can change their life. Not only give them a ticket to heaven, but help them deal with the hell they're in right now. Huh? And I love this in the message, in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, in the message, Jesus said, are you tired? Are you worn out? We know people, maybe you're here today and you're, you feel that way. Yeah, I'm tired and worn out. Do you know what? We, we encounter people like that every day. They're tired and they're worn out. He goes on to say, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. That's good, isn't it? See, Jesus has the power to help people recover their lives. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Listen, people, they're used to going to church where it was a bunch of rules. It was a bunch of regulations. Their whole Christianity is don't, don't, don't. They know everything they're not supposed to do, but they're doing it so they don't come. We have a church on every corner in this city. And I'm here to tell you, okay, we're making a dent, but you know what? There are more unchurched people today still in bed watching TV. Other churches aren't our competition. What's on TV is our competition. 
The mall is our competition. You used to have Blue Sunday. You came to church because that was the only entertainment you could find. You remember hating that as a kid? Man, I love it now. I wish it was, I wish it was in effect now. Not many restaurants were open. You actually had to go cook. My. Don't know that I like that one. So we all know people who are struggling under burdens of fear, shame, regret, brokenness. And we're carriers of the cure. And you know what? Here's the bottom line, church. You know what? We can get so judgmental at people who drink and smoke and sleep around. But you know what? When we're stressed out, we have a Savior to go to. We know the verse that says, cast your care on me because I care for you. What if you're not in relationship with a redeemer like that? I don't know about you. I think I'd go to drinking too. I think I'd smoke too. I think I'd do whatever to try to find relief too. And we forget the reason we no longer live that way is we have a Savior who restored our lives. And it's so easy to forget that and cast a disdainful eye at a lost world. And you know what the bottom line is? Sinners sin. It's their nature. Sinners sin. Hmm? So Jesus, we have to believe that Jesus can change lives. That as long as they're breathing their life can change. Amen? Number two. You still with me? You got to recognize that God wants to use you to do it. So you got to believe Jesus can change lives. And number two, you got to recognize he wants you to do it. First Timothy 1.16 says, God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe him and have eternal life. And so we got to realize God wants to use you. Not Billy Graham, not Joyce Meyer. They don't know those people. They know you. Frank was sharing with me a story the other day, and I won't go into details, but he was sharing a story where God opened up a door for him to share his faith. And it's funny, he kept saying, now, I'm no Todd Nelson. I'm like, you know what? They didn't need Todd Nelson. They need Frank Simons. They didn't need me. They needed you. I could not have stepped into that world. They needed what God did in you to share that with them. They didn't need a preacher. They needed Frank. They needed you. They needed that preacher. Hmm? And so you got to believe God wants to use you. Number three, we're running out of time. Is this okay? Number three, you need to identify people in your sphere of influence to invite. Now listen, here's where this comes in. Did everyone get your notes that looks kind of like this? Has this big old blue circle? Did everyone get one of those? If you didn't, we have some. Just raise your hand and we'll get that to you. Okay? Just raise your hand. They're coming your way. Okay? They're coming your way. And listen, you got to identify the people in your sphere of influence to invite. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. It's up on the screen as they pass these out. It says, to live wisely among those who are not yet Christians, making the most of every opportunity. 
So let's think about this. God wants us to make the most of every opportunity we have with the people in our lives. And so we need to identify the people that God has placed in our lives. And so if you look at this handout, notice it looks like a bullseye and there are four circles. You have a small inner circle and then the circles keep getting bigger. And the smallest circle represents those in your life that are, you're close to. And then as the circle expands, there are people that are still in your life, but you're not as close to them as the circle gets bigger. Okay? And so here's what I want you to do. The first line, the first smallest circle where the line is, you're going to write your family. Write family in that blue circle, that, that littlest one. Family. And then notice you see a number one, and then there's five lines, two, three, and four. And I want you to begin to think of some of your family members. And number one, who's some of your family that still doesn't know Jesus? Who's some of your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your mom, your dad, your grandparents? And listen, let me remind you about something I said in the first service. It just kind of dropped. You know what? There are nice people in hell. There are. Nice people go to hell. Only new creations go to heaven. And there are a lot of nice people, full of integrity, well-intentioned, who never made Jesus Lord of their life, who were never made a new creation. Hell is full of people like that. Do you realize that? And see, what happens is sometimes we're around family, we're around friends, we're around people, and they're so nice. Okay, that's great, they're nice, but are they new creations? Had they been born again of the Spirit? Because hell is full of nice people. So who's some of your family members? You remember when uh, Jesus delivered the demon-possessed man in Luke chapter 8? It says the man kept begging and praying that he might accompany Jesus and be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home. Another translation says, go back to your family. And recount the story of how, uh, how of all the great things God has done for you. And the man departed, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So your family, that's where we start. I'll never forget when I got saved. Man, I drove my family nuts. I drove my family crazy. So much so, my dad, who had been born again for many years but just got out of church, he said, son, you're preaching. You make me feel like I'm not even saved anymore. <laughs> Confrontational. And my reply was, well, hmm? so your family, number two, the second sphere of influence, your friends, your friends. These are people, you know, you do life with. These are people you may go out to eat, still unsaved, still unchurched, but they're friends, you know. They, you, you go to each other's birthday parties, you barbecue, you hang out, okay, so you got your family. Second circle is your friends. So list some of your friends there. Who are some of your friends you need to write on that list? And at the least, you need to begin praying for them. Okay? Number three, the next circle. The third sphere of influence are your coworkers and classmates. Your coworkers and your classmates. See, some of us, you're at that job and you're like, you know what? I drove to work with this guy. I rode with this guy to work and it was great. And then they added this third guy. He draws me up on the wall. He won't shut up. So you need to think, you know what, you need to remember maybe God put that guy in your life. Maybe God put that woman in your life. Maybe God brought them into your sphere of influence 
so that you could let your light shine. I shared with you when I was in high school, wherever I sat in class, I would claim whoever sat in front of me, behind me, and beside me, they were getting saved. Or I drove them crazy. Why? Because I'm here and you're in my vicinity. You're going to know about Jesus. You're going to know about my church. I'm going to do everything within my power to let you know about Jesus. So your coworkers, your classmates. And then lastly, the fourth and the last sphere of influence, that big circle, neighbors or others. This can be people in your apartment complex. This could be people that live next door or in your neighborhood. This could be people, the Starbucks. This could be the gas attendant. This could be people, you run into them all the time. People in your sphere of influence. Begin to make a list of those people and begin to pray for them. And then number four, care enough to extend an invitation to church. Just invite them. Just say, come. Will you come with me? That's it. Just care enough to invite them. So you have to believe Jesus can change lives, recognize God wants to use you to do that, identify people in your sphere of influence, and then care enough to actually invite them. And here's what happens. Here's the amazing thing that happens when you begin to do that. Number five. The last one. You begin to experience God's blessing in your own life. Come on, we've all been there. You've had someone and you begin to minister to them. You begin, And maybe you even felt dry. Maybe you ever felt like maybe you didn't have a whole lot to share. Frank, Frank began to share this. And he's like, man, I felt great. That was awesome. Because something amazing happens when you begin to get outside of yourself and you begin to share what God has done in your life with others. And you begin to pray for others. And you begin to minister to others. And you begin to reach out and invite others. Whether they respond favorably or not. There's this joy that is unleashed in your life because you're about your father's business. I'm going to close with this story. My father is a great man. The older I get, the more I realize he's at the top of my list as one of my heroes. The more I realize, it's funny, I was doing something the other day and Shelly goes, like it or not, babe, you are so your dad. You know, that used to annoy me. Now it just makes me proud. My dad is such a great man, and he was always a kind man, and has always been a servant. And uh, I look back at some of the things in serving others and loving others. That's how my daddy raised me. We, we had uh, elderly neighbors on both sides of us, and dad would have us mow their yard uh, growing up as a kid because they, they couldn't get around as well. And he, he always raised us to do things like that. Well, my dad was an atheist. My mom married him anyway. She was a Lutheran girl and later got filled with the Holy Spirit. Began to pray for my daddy, share her faith with my daddy. And I'll never forget, I was 10 years old. My dad and I are 30 years apart. And when my dad was 40, he gave his heart to Jesus and got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I remember the whole atmosphere in our home changed. My dad used to be a very angry man. And I just remember the peace that came into our home. Well... My dad was uh, the oldest of six kids, and he had two, the two youngest were two brothers, Uncle Mike and Uncle Mark. Both of them are dead. They died in car crashes. Uncle Mike was driving intoxicated and had a head-on collision with a gravel truck. My Uncle Mark, who was still a teenager at the time, just bought a brand uh, or a new Nova 
that picture we have, he's in front of this car, still a teenager. He was intoxicated and wrapped it around a telephone pole. And I remember when I got saved, you know, I, I told you how I annoyed my family <laughs> and preached to them. And, but dad never discouraged me from doing that. And one day he opened up, was very vulnerable, and he shared with me why. And he was always supportive and encouraging in sharing my faith. And he said shortly after he gave his life to the Lord, his brothers asked him, tell us more about this Jesus thing. And my dad was a new believer, and he didn't know what to tell him. He was not equipped, and this was new. He was an atheist before he got saved. So he just didn't know what to tell him. And he said, you know what, but I'll get back with you, and I'll get some pamphlets or some literature, and I'll get back with you. But you know what, that day never came. And my dad is 74 now, still living here in town. He'll be at the wedding. He's a great man. And you know what? He's a happy man. And he doesn't live under this cloud of shame, guilt, and condemnation. But there are occasionally times when he begins to think about his little brothers and where they'll spend eternity. See, when we go to heaven, there are two things you'll no longer be able to do. Number one is sin. Thank God for that. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. But number two, you'll never get another opportunity to invite someone to meet Jesus. It's, it'll be done. It's wrapped up. It's over. Reminds me of the story, you remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? And how Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. And the Bible says the rich man went to hell and there was a big gulf, a big chasm in between them. And, and it says Lazarus, uh, the rich man would long for Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and, and touch his tongue because he was in such torment. And he said, you know what, there's no way I can do that. There's too big of a gulf, too big of a chasm between us. And I remember the story, it's powerful. The rich man said, well, you know what? And at the least, listen, allow me to come up just for a moment. Okay, I'll come back to hell. I understand. I'm here. But, but at least allow me to come out just for a little while and warn my brothers about this place of torment. Allow me to... And you know what? It was too late. And so when we get to heaven, there will no longer be an opportunity to sin and there will no longer be an opportunity to invite and reach out to others. So man, let's be about our Father's business. Amen? Let's know that, you know, nice, even nice people go to hell. Only new creations go to heaven. And let's do everything within our power to share our story because I'm here to tell you, your invitation can change this city. Amen? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you. I never want to assume maybe you